uh, verses the 6b uh, to 32. So if you want to turn to your church Bibles, I've got no idea what page it's on. Um, so feel free to um, shout out what page that is on. Anyone got it? 1008, thank you very much. Ah, I don't have a church Bible, but it's on 1008 in mine as well. Who'd have thought? Um, okay, can we just sing that refrain once more, actually? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's a really um, just beautiful, isn't it, to get our hearts ready to come to the word. So I'll sing away from the mic. But if we put those words back, if, that, if that's possible recognize that it's here that we come face to face with Jesus. And Lord, I pray that any words that are not from you will be forgotten. We do pray it's your spirit that's going out, and I'm speaking your words to your people, and we pray that this would um, just go out and it would not return void. We pray there'd be something for everybody in here to challenge us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so from... uh, Uh, verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came on his birthday. Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but... Because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sends an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, 
and brought back his head on a dish. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Well, don't like sharing, but anyway. We go. Um, so this is the first time that the disciples have been let loose. They've been sent out by Jesus. He said, go, go, go on a short-term mission trip to the villages around. And how do you think they were feeling? This is, you can shout out in my sermons. Feel free to shout out. How do you think they would have been feeling? Nervous? Ill-equipped? Keep going. Excited? Thank you. Uh, anything else? Yeah. Nervous, excited, ill-equipped, all those things. Have, have any of you ever been on a short-term mission trip? Either abroad or in this country? Or have you ever just been in that place where, you know, when you came to faith, you're so excited that you just wanted to go out and tell people about Jesus, and it didn't bother you, did it? It's like, I don't care what people think. Well, we probably felt quite similar. Ill-equipped, scared, nervous, but also I'd say expectant that God can do what he says in the Bible. Amen? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when I came to faith and I uh, started helping out the local youth group um, and there was something called the Noise Project that was happening. Um, It was where you took the youth group into the community to go and do some community work, but also to hope to share the gospel to people, like tidying up gardens and so forth. And we were excited, especially as leaders. We were really excited. We were like, yes, let's go and tell people about Jesus. I was scared, but also excited. I think back to when Oikos started 12 years ago, and some of you are here today. Some of you may be part of church plants in the past or part of something really exciting when a church goes and does a new ministry. But I remember when Oikos started, I was really excited. I was really scared, but expectant of what God could do. It was fresh. So people come to faith. We had camels on the high street as an outreach event. I mean, that was brilliant. We had people that were willing to drive 20 or 30 minutes to go and pick people up just to bring them to church. Lunch every week with people. Houses full. You know, it was like, whoo, yeah, a bit like heaven. Um, But then as the years go by, it seems like maybe sometimes we can lose that naivety and that joy of when we first come to faith, or when we first go out and expecting of what God can do. Maybe you're in that sweet spot now, and, I pr- and brilliant, praise the Lord, this is for you as well. But also, certainly for people that maybe we felt like we've gone a few rounds with Mike Tyson or something like that, and we think the Christian life has maybe left us a little bit weary at times. It's a bit of a, um, a random analogy here, but I'm going to carry on with the boxing analogy, which I think is helpful. Anthony Joshua, does everyone know who Anthony Joshua is? Brilliant. Thank you. Um, anyway, 18 fights unbeaten. We'd go into his fights and saying, I'm going to knock everybody out. No one can beat me. And then what happened? He got knocked out and he lost. What happened next? He lost. What happened next? He lost again. And so when he goes into his interviews now and he says, I'm going to beat this person, you look into his eyes and you see a man that has been beaten and knows that he is beatable. 
people look at him and say, you've been beaten. You're not the same as you used to be. And maybe sometimes that is how we can feel in the Christian life. We've been a few rounds. We've, we've had some bad experiences. That naivety and that joy and excitement has gone. And we want to get back there, don't we? The feeling of being unbeatable and seeing that God can do all great things maybe is replaced by a little bit of skepticism. Can he, can he really do that? Did he really do that? Especially when it comes to the next mission, ministry or the next evangelistic event. But I want us, if you're not already there, to return to that place of joy. That place of, yes, the Lord can do this. He is with me. Can I get a whoop, yeah? Come on, Grant, you can do it. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And I think that here in this passage, we see an opportunity for us. So how can we learn from these early disciples that go out on this mission trip, their first one? How can we return to this naive, joyful, expecting that God can do anything place? is we are called to go like those disciples. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I was really encouraged by studying this passage and what came from it. I hope that you will be too, but if not, at least one of us has been encouraged by it. So here we go. Number one, we are to go with Jesus' authority and as a team. Firstly, we see that we are to go on God's mission to go and tell people about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, with authority and as a team. So, calling the twelve to him, he began, Jesus began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. The disciples were given the authority of Jesus to go out in his name to the surrounding villages. They were representatives, Jesus' appointed representatives to go and represent him to the world. And if you're sitting here today as a believer in Jesus, you are the same. You are an extension of Jesus. You go with Jesus's authority. He has said, you go in my name and represent me to the world. Let that sink in for a minute. If you know and love Jesus, you have been handpicked to go and be his representative. This is not a representative of your workplace. This is not a representative what else are you representative of? Your country. You are going to be a representative of Jesus. He has said, Dan, you go and represent me here. Savannah, you go and represent me here. Isn't that amazing? You're an extension of Jesus with his authority. And before you get all big-headed and think, man, I deserve this. Aren't I great? Well, I have to say that the job interview for it was for you to be a dirty, rotten sinner and for you to recognize that, and then he chooses you. How good is that? How good is that? It's not because of anything you deserve. You didn't do a good interview. In fact, you absolutely did an awful interview. You bombed in the interview. I've done that many times in real interviews. Um, but, But you got chosen because he loves you. Paul calls this in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are an ambassador of Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. Do we live as if we're certain that God is appealing through us on his behalf to others? Do we go out like that each and every single day? I don't think I do. Tomorrow morning, or even this afternoon, but (laughs) tomorrow morning, when you go to wherever you go, remember that you are a representative of Jesus. 
He has chosen you to go and be that person for him wherever you go, with his authority to do that. Doesn't that make you feel important and special (laughs) and with a vital role? But also we're to do it in a team. We see that um, he sends them out two by two, and Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one. But also the, re- the law require that two witnesses verify a matter. So Jesus sends them out together, two people, not on their own. And it's similar to kind of how we want to do live life on mission as a church, in our gospel community groups, our family groups that meet through the week. To, to not be out on our own. When we feel like we're going to our workplaces on our own, when we feel like we're going into our communities on our own actually we've got a whole loving gospel community family that are praying for us and are encouraging us wherever we go when we come to a board games night or any ministry event that we're doing here we do it together not on our own on our own sometimes when we be picked off we can doubt ourselves we can get nervous and scared but together when we do it together there's something powerful and it gives us more boldness to go and share the good news of jesus christ And so we go with Jesus' authority, and we go as a team. And secondly, we go lightly. Verse 8 and 9 and 10, it says this, um, or 8 and 9. It says, these were his instructions. Jesus says, take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Jesus' instructions are simple. Guys, you are to go out lightly. No excess baggage, nothing that can impede you on your mission. This is hand luggage only, even less than hand luggage. None of that 20-kilogram stuff on the bottom of a plane. You're not having that. Just the essentials, only a staff for walking, for protection, basic preparation. What does that mean for us? Then maybe we're not on a short-term mission trip at the moment. This is the context that we're kind of talking about, but I think we can apply this to us on God's mission. We're all on God's mission as believers in Jesus. To be effective in God's work, we must do what we do, unburdened of excess baggage that could impede us on our mission. Let me say that again. To be effective in God's work, we must do what we do, unburdened of excess baggage that can impede us on our mission. Well, what excess baggage do we as Christians sometimes carry that might impede us on going and telling other people about Jesus? Well, I think a couple of things. Physical things can be a start, can't they? Things that we've accumulated. The longer we live, the more things we tend to have. And then the harder it is to be able to say goodbye to them if God calls us on a short-term mission trip or a long-term mission trip or to go and leave this community and move to another community. The things that we have can sometimes become a burden for us. And it means we don't necessarily always listen to the call for us to go. Sometimes it can be um, overextending ourselves. In our culture, getting loans and mortgages and all those things is, is culturally the thing that we do. Nothing wrong with that. But I remember someone said to me just before I got married, Dan, whatever you do, live lightly. I did not like that piece of advice. I said, don't overextend yourself because it may stop you from doing things or being nimble for the gospel. Great advice. Not always taken, but great advice. Encourage us in that. 
Sometimes, even if you think about going on a missions trip, we have become accustomed sometimes to a certain standard of living. Putting off us off going to some far-flung country because of the differences in the culture or the experience that we might have. Remember when I went to Thailand on a short-term mission trip, it was a long story, but to cut, the long, <laughs> to cut a very long story short, um, the accommodation was not quite what I was expecting, and I was not happy about it. I was not happy. I mean, I could talk for ages about this, um, but um, the point where the person I was traveling with, I remember when they woke up in the morning, they were shaking with fear about where they'd slept that night. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we should, the extent to which we should uh, um, go, but... There is something about us, our expectations of where we go to other places to be treated exactly as we're treated here. That may not be the case. Let's think about within our context, within the mission we are on with our communities and our neighbours and here as a church. What are some of the the things that can stop us um, travelling lightly or going out on mission lightly? Well, I think felt experiences as well. Maybe we've felt let down before, let down by God when we've gone out and... um, in, with passion and with zeal, and he hasn't met us. We felt he hasn't met us where we're at. Maybe things have been harder than expected in the last few years through Christian life and in, on mission for him. Maybe you've been burdened by not feeling confident enough in your faith to go out and share the gospel. Well, whether it's physical things, whether it's felt experiences, We see that Jesus tells the disciples to go out like this for good reason. He's making the link here between um, Exodus when God says to the Hebrews, um, this is how you are to eat the Passover meal, with your cloak tucked in in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover because they had to get out of Egypt. God was freeing them from the slavery in Egypt. But don't take much with you. Why? Because I'm going to provide for you. And you will see me provide for you when you don't take much with you. Paul says a similar thing in, in uh, Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. You see, your little, provision, little provisions requires big faith to meet your needs. I'll say that again. Little provisions <laughs> require big faith to meet your needs. And if you're anything like me, I don't like little provisions. And I don't like needing big faith, if I'm honest with you at times. Isn't it so much easier when we can meet our own needs rather than need to rely on God to meet them? But when we have little provisions, we get to see God at work with him being our only resource to meet those needs. The theologian James Edwards says this, true service of Jesus is characterized by dependence on him And dependence on him is signified by going where Jesus sends despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. That hit me hard. Let me say it again. True service of Jesus is characterized by dependence on him and dependence on him is signified by going where Jesus sends despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. Where is God calling you to? Who might he be calling you to? Because I think sometimes I maybe don't even ask the question because I think I've got too many, like I could not sacrifice all the things that I've got, Lord, to go and do whatever you want me to do. This is too much of a cost. 
but it's worth just writing this down. I haven't got it on the board, but, but, but is there any baggage that might potentially be impeding you on God's mission? Could there be something that's holding you back? Because we don't want to be held back, do we? Let's at least spend some time thinking about it and seeing, Lord, where, where, where is my baggage? Is it physical things? Is it felt experiences? What might it be that's, that's impeding me on your mission? Because there is a world out there. There is a world that haven't heard the gospel. Not a whole world. Much of it has, but parts haven't. And we are called to go. Maybe for a short term, maybe for a long term. There's parts of our community here in Birmingham that have not heard the gospel. And part of the vision of the collective, the Oikos Collective with Oikos Church, Second City and Hope Church, is to go to places where the city haven't got a gospel representation, a gospel preaching church. It doesn't make financial sense. There are lots of unanswered questions. But we go there and we want to go there lightly. So we're nimble for the gospel. We're willing to go when we hear that call. Could the Lord be calling you somewhere new? Now, I'm not doing that because I want to lose anybody from my gosh. Not at all. But we have to be willing to sacrifice, don't we, for these things. Could the Lord be asking you to go somewhere? Something that we're looking into doing as a collective is doing a, um, a short-term missions trip in the next 12 months. Maybe that's something that you could work towards going on and being part of. We're going to look at doing one in this country, but also doing one abroad. Could that be something, uh, the first way in for you? So we go with Jesus' authority and as a team, and we're to go lightly. Thirdly, that's fourthly. Thirdly, uh, we go, and in some places you're going to be welcomed, and in some you will be rejected. Some you'll be welcomed, and some you will be rejected. Jesus says, disciples whenever you enter a house stay there until you leave that town and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them jesus said stay where you're accepted leave where you're rejected and so at some point we are going to be rejected you've got to expect it we talked a lot about this when we we're looking through one peter um but if you're like me that fear of rejection when you go and share the gospel with somebody is like, makes me really nervous. And then when, if you get rejected, it can knock me for six. And for the next week, I'm like, ooh, second guessing, should I say anything? Should I go up to this person? It can put me off. And just something that's going on at the moment, this last month, a situation that, I, that, that I'm, I'm in at the moment of hope, help, wanting to help an establishment um, share the gospel um, in that establishment, thinking that that was going to be welcomed and actually being rejected. It was hard for a week. You were around me at all, you could see it had knocked my mood and knocked me for six. Jesus says, sometimes it will be right when it's rejected to dust off your sandals. The warning of what they're rejecting. And dusting off the sandals is something the pious Jews would do whenever they would leave Israel and have to travel through a pagan land to signal their disassociation from paganism and the divine judgment that awaits them. It's, for us, it would be like saying, I'll wash my hands of you. I'll wash my hands of you. My responsibility is done. I've shared what I need to share. I've told you the truth, but you don't want it. But over to you now. I remember... Um, Sadly, when both my grandparents passed away in the last five years, and my nan, when she passed away, um, I've always had this, this feeling of regret. 
because I didn't get to share the gospel with her before she died. But when my granddad, a couple of years ago, passed away, just before that, I, I was going up quite regularly to see him over a number of months to share the gospel with him, to listen to his objections and to say, um, okay, well, I don't think, here's your objection, this is what the gospel says to that, will you accept it, granddad? And sadly, he didn't. But there's a different feeling for my granddad. Although I'm sad and I didn't hear him um, respond, in a positive way to the gospel anyway, um, I don't know what happened in the final days of his life, and I pray that he will be in heaven. But there was something that felt different, a peace, because I knew I'd done my responsibility. I knew I had shared what needed to be shared and asked for a response. So there may be many times, or there may be times, when a broken heart, and with a broken heart, we just warn others of the dangers of rejecting Jesus. It's a merciful thing to do is the merciful thing to do. Sometimes we can think that actually the merciful thing to do is not to say anything and not to rock the boat with people. And I have that tendency. But um, myself and Simon were on a conference this last week. I'm going to talk about the bit we were very challenged by this, this lady from the Christian Institute who did a talk. And one thing she said, and I'm paraphrasing now, Simon, you probably recorded it a lot better than I did, but um, if I get this wrong, but I think this is right. Um, Not warning someone of the judgment to come is a false compassion. We may think we are being loving by not saying anything, but in fact, it's the opposite. We can't dust off our sandals or our feet, um, the sand from our sandals. Is that right? Sand from our sandals, that's where they'll be. Or your shoes, if you're not wearing sandals. Um, Or flip-flops. But we uh, we um, we can't turn our backs on somewhere until we have than the thing of sharing fully the gospel and call them to repentance. You see, we are to expect that there may well be rejection. Don't let it surprise you. With the school, I was surprised that I was being rejected. But I shouldn't be surprised. It's to be expected. Well, also, we should expect that it is accepted. Sometimes I can focus on the negative, but there's a positive here. It will be accepted. Jesus says, stay where you are accepted. You will be accepted. So stay. Don't look for better accommodation once you get there. Stay in the house. Don't look, don't, don't look for a better host when you get to that place. God's mission is not a pleasure tour. I don't know about you, but often I can be more excited about um, sharing the gospel with certain people that are more like me than the people that maybe God has put in front of me that may be different than me at times. And we end up focusing on the wrong people rather than the hungry people. Let's just encourage one another that success is not finding people that look like us to share the gospel with. Success is being obedient with sharing the gospel to whoever the Lord puts in front of us, whoever that may be, and walking alongside them for as long as it takes to disciple them. Because we will be rejected, but praise the Lord, we will be accepted. Let's be faithful with the people that he brings to us. So go with Jesus' authority Um, And as a team, go lightly. Go in some places where you'll be welcomed and some you're going to be rejected. Go to those places still. But fourthly, go preaching the word and doing the work of the kingdom. That's the work we do, pretty simply, is go preaching the word, which is doing the work of the kingdom. If you look, John the Baptist's first words in the Gospel of Mark are, repent. Jesus is, repent, 
the apostles, what Peter says in Acts 2, 38, his, the first words out of his mouth are, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is what we preach. We go to people and say, hey, turn away from yourself and ignoring God and turn away fully and turn to God. That's what repentance is, turning away from ourselves being our own God and turn to the one true God. Turn away from the things of the past and look to God for the future. Turning our back on our sins of the past and turning to God future. And that's a daily thing that we have to do because we sin daily, don't we? But we keep reorientating ourselves back to the one true <laughs> holy God. And that's the message that we get to share with people. Just think about those times where we've seen people baptized here. 40 people over the, last, uh, over the life of the church. Where we've seen, maybe you've been to other baptisms, I'm sure you have, or remember your own baptism, the joy of seeing people that have truly understood that their sins are forgiven, and they've turned away, and they've trying to face God. That brings the joy and the naivety back, doesn't it, when we see and hear stories of that. That excitement that God does save and can save. Seeing a free person set free from their sins, an enslaved person set free from their sins to becoming free. This is the work of the kingdom that we get to be part of. Is there any better thing to live for? Any better thing to do? So, fifthly, go even though you will face severe opposition. And we talked about will be rejected. But there's an interesting part here that um, kind of is the centre of the passage we're looking at today. And it's this big section where it talks about John the Baptist. So why is it flipped from Jesus sending out his disciples and then it's going to come to the feeding of the 5,000, including the beheading of John the Baptist? Well, I think it's this. I think we see, um, as Kenny looked at last week, that Jesus is going to be re- says, I'm going to be rejected prophet is not welcome in his hometown. He's just saying to the disciples, you may be accepted, but you may also be rejected. And then I think we see here Mark showing us the extent to which we maybe need to potentially expect persecution and even there could be death, as many Christians have found across the world in their lives. What he's doing, Mark is showing the contrast between King Jesus and King Herod. King Herod kills a faithful servant of Jesus. Why? Because John the Baptist stood up to King Herod in his sin of taking his brother's wife. He wasn't willing to stand down on that issue. I mean, how easy it would have been for him to say, okay, it's the king, I'm just going to leave him. But no, he stands up for what is good and for what is right, even when the consequence ended up being his death. If we are going to call, potentially call people to repentance and to faith in God, sometimes their love of sin is going to be even or so great that it's going to end up persecu- they're going to end up persecuting them. We don't want to have it pointed out. Now, again, just you know, this is not going to encourage us to begin with, and then we'll finish with an encouragement. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm just warning you now. Okay, it, gets, it finishes on a high. Um, on this conference, again, this lady was talking at the Christian Institute, talking about how the Christian worldview of saying that our Bibles, this Bible, is the ultimate truth. What we believe as, believe as Christians, isn't it? The ultimate truth can only be found in here, God's words. 
She said that obviously that is contrary to the world's view, which is what's true for me may be different than what's true for you, but both our truths are right. Does that make sense? There's no absolute truth, only what I believe to be true. We've got six billion different truths potentially in this world. And she said, you see, making an absolute truth claim as Christians and calling people to repentance and to faith could be not only offensive, it is offensive, it says Jesus is offensive, isn't it? But it also may become an offense to do so. Heavy, isn't it? Does it make us want to go back to that time of naivety and joy and excitement of telling people about Jesus? Well, hopefully this does, because it's so important that we do it anyway, because we know as believers, those that know and love Jesus, the great benefit it is of knowing him and the surety of eternal life, the end of our days here on this earth, we go to be with him. And we want others to experience that too, don't we? We get to be his messengers. But the only way we're going to be able to do this, finally, is to go and rely on the constant encouragement from Jesus to fulfill our call. The only way we can do it, and we see this is what the disciples do at the end of our passage in verses 30 to 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported all they'd done and taught. And because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Going is not easy, and we are not guaranteed safety along the way, and it's certainly not going to be glamorous. Jesus says in John 15, if if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. But wherever we go, short-term mission trip, long-term mission trip, in our communities, ministries for the church, whatever it may be, the thing that we need to remember The thing that we need to do to get back to that naivety, that joy and that excitement like the disciples were experiencing is doing exactly what they did. and They went to be with Jesus. Simple as that. For refreshment, for a quiet and solitary place. And I think if you think back in your Christian life, the time that's been the sweet spot for you, when has it been? And I think that the common theme would be when I was was loving the word and spending time in prayer with him. That would be the time where it would probably be the sweetest time for us all at different times. And so it's simple on the one hand is be with Jesus. Take rest, encouragement from him. I love the fact that they come and basically they give a debrief of what's happened. We can do the same each day. Jesus, this is what's happened today. Oh, this person said this. Go, go do it with him. Share with him. He wants to hear. And then he will be the one through his word and through prayer that will encourage us to go back out on his mission and not be weary. So, my six points, if I can remember them. I don't think I put them on there. Here we go. Go with Jesus' authority and as a team. Go lightly. Some places you can be welcomed, some places you'll be rejected. Go preaching the word and doing the kingdom work. Go even when you may face severe opposition. But go and rely on the constant encouragement from Jesus to fulfill your call. Amen. Let's pray.